listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Well, welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm John. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, And I also want to welcome you to the first installment of our Summer at the Movies podcast series. Uh, In the intro episode of this series, which I strongly encourage you to listen to if you haven't already, uh, Rachel, Ryan, and Yancey talk about watching movies and interacting with pop culture from a Christian worldview. And that's really the subtext of this whole series. How can we enjoy and engage with this art form of storytelling with wisdom and discernment and in a way that honors God? So we're not here to uh, declare movies righteous or to tell you what you should or shouldn't like or watch, but to simply appreciate movies and shows we've enjoyed to affirm the truths we see in them and to hopefully have some fun along the way. So I also just want to put this out there. This is an episode about Harry Potter, and I have to put this disclaimer there. Uh, There are going to be spoilers on this episode. So if you haven't read it yet, you haven't seen the movies, um, you're going to want to proceed at your own risk. Without any further ado, let's get to the phenomenon that was, and still is, Harry Potter. So I'm excited to be joined today by Rachel Chester, Spiritual Formation Associate here at Clear Creek Community Church, and Harry Potter enthusiast. Rachel, thanks for being here. I'm so excited. I'm excited too, and we're also excited to have Mr. Daniel Garcia, who is a Church on Wednesday campus elder and our resident Harry Potter expert. Daniel, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So um, before we really dig in here, um, I I just have to say, like, there's so much to cover with this subject. Uh, There's like, there's seven books and eight movies plus other stuff in the universe that's going on in in Harry Potter. And so I was just like, all right, we got to have some kind of structure here so that we... Oh, I, th- I thought I thought you were about to tell us we we're going to have a, like a week long podcast. Yeah, it, this is actually so an eighteen part series. Yeah. No, uh, I just wanted to have a little bit of structure. Otherwise, I think this legitimately could be an eighteen part series, and each episode would be really long. So, we're going to go through a few categories, um, and I'll introduce those as we go. Kind of give you guys an idea of what we're going to talk about, and we'll hopefully be able to cover a lot of ground that way. So, you guys ready to roll? Yes. Let's Sounds do it. Good. All right. So, category one is called Where Were You? And this is the category that takes us back to where it all started with Harry Potter for us individually. So I want to know, what's your history with Harry Potter? How did you get into it? Why do you love it? Who's your Who's your favorite character? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite movie? All that stuff. I want to know it. So Daniel, go ahead. For me, um, I was actually pretty late to the Harry Potter game. I didn't get into it until college. And um, my younger sister, you know, had the first couple books as they came out. And I thought they were, I'd seen maybe the first movie and thought this is just kind of dumb kid stuff. And um, just wrote it off. I actually also have this kind of annoying quirk where the more popular something is, the less likely I am to pay attention mm-hmm. to it because I'm one of those people. And so... Um, yeah, I just, it was an afterthought for me for a lot of times. Um, I, I have a teaching degree. And so one of my classes was uh, children and young adult literature. And uh, first day, you know, I pull out the reading list for all, everything we had to read that semester. And the first book on the list was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And so I was just extremely annoyed um, that I had to read that finally. And my sister thought it was hilarious. Um, and so I read it and was immediately hooked just couldn't even tell you why uh, it was the most fantastic thing five books right out of the time so i read the other four i went and grabbed them all off of her bookshelf read all five of them immediately um within the next couple weeks 
This was the spring before the sixth book came out and um, immediately read them again once I realized the sixth book was coming out so I could remember what was going on uh, before I read the sixth book. And, you know, we'll get into more of, um, of why it hooked me so much, you know, throughout the rest of this episode. But if nothing else, she's just such a fantastic writer and world builder that um, I was just drawn in from the beginning. And um, it has extra significance for me in that I didn't read before I read Harry Potter. Mm. I, ever, ever since I stopped reading and for fun in elementary or junior high, whenever, um, you know, the other studies kind of overtake that, unless you're a real avid reader, I, I hadn't picked up a book in years. And uh, it so transformed my life that I don't, I never don't have a book going right now. Um, wow. And so it was more than just a great series for me. It was just a, a complete life change in that it's the reason that I read uh, to this day. And that was, um, I don't know, too many years ago, 15 years, years ago, ago or something like that. Yes, many yes. Moons. Rachel, what about you? Oh, that's so interesting. Our stories are similar in that I was not interested in Harry Potter whenever all the books came out. So I was an avid reader all my life. And whenever people were reading those books when I was in high school and college, I was not interested in a young adult novel about wizards. Just no. I was reading other stuff and I was like, that sounds awful. I think I watched some movies. Like, I think I watched like movie six or movie five just because I went with my friends, but didn't care at all. And then about seven years ago or six years ago, I taught a class for CCISD. It's an alpha class, which some kids go to. And I taught a mock trial class actually. And as part of it, I was just teaching kids how like evidence works in a trial. So I would give them a clip of something that I thought maybe would engage them. So I gave these kids uh, four minute clips of Harry Potter. And then I would ask them a question and be like, you can only use this four minute clip to answer the question because it's the only Mm. admissible evidence. So answer my question, but only this. And they were so intense and excited and mad at me that they couldn't explain everything else that I really needed to know about what was happening to answer this question that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read them. And so as soon as the class was over, I picked up the first book and I read all of them in the next like week, week and a half. And uh, now my kids have read them and I read them a couple times and I love them. And just like you said, I mean, we'll talk about why, but I I love them. It's really good writing. It's a really impressive and moving story. And yeah, yeah, that's amazing. It's it's a a unorthodox entry into the world of Harry Potter from what I have heard from other people. But um, so my story with that is I was in uh, I was in fourth grade in 1999, Mr. Serafini's class, and he was going to do a read aloud of um, Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone to the class. And so um, I'm going to touch more on this in just a second, but we had to talk to our parents and make sure they were cool with us sitting in and listening to that because at the time there was a little oh, yeah. bit of the whole thing going on with like, is there's witchcraft and all that. So, mm-hmm. um, but so anyway, so I, I got approved to sit in the class and listen and was like, man, this book is so cool. Like I love this story and uh, our teacher was like, okay, cool. If you want to read the second one, that's out that I think it had just come out and uh, chamber of secrets. And so he was like, you know, sign up to, to be on the waiting list. Cause apparently I don't know why, what was going on in parchment, Michigan at that time, but we had one copy in our whole elementary school of chamber of secrets. And so I, I was going to go sign up on the waiting list and I realized I'm like number 47 mm. and I'm like, I'm not going to wait. So that was pretty much the end of Harry Potter for me. 
until I hit um, high school and I had a friend who was super into it. And he took me to go see the sixth movie mm-hmm. with him. And um, I was just like, I have no idea what's going on, but I love this. It's yeah. super cool. And so right shortly after that, I read all the books and got caught up and was sitting in college, like reading, you know, probably when I should have been taking notes, like reading Harry Potter and um, just really, really getting into it. So um, since like then, I've been kind of hooked. Yeah. <laughs> since then, I've been hooked, uh, have really enjoyed it. My wife and I watch the movies like probably once a year, maybe a little less frequent, but yeah. Just to, you know, just to stay in it. So, um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the whole uh, witchcraft thing, just because I think it's it's so unique with this story. I mean, there's there's other stories that kind of have that too, but um, it was just such an interesting time when these books were coming out, and I think there are still people who have this question mm-hmm. about witchcraft in a kids book, and is that okay? So, that's going to take us into our second category which I have named, I had a little fun with the names. Um, It's called Wacky, Wild, and Weird, and it's about controversies within the story, but also outside of the story. And so I think a great place to start is just talking about this this magic and witchcraft thing that was going on at the time. What do you guys remember about that? Well, um, I remember, I I do remember it happening. I think it does still happen all the time. I actually had um, a professor recently, talking about this issue and her concern about it. So, which surprised me, but it's still an ongoing issue. I think that's right. Um, But I think for me, the most important thing to think through about this topic is if you have, if you go to our church and you've heard um, even from the pulpit or in a class or on the podcast, when we talk about how to study the Bible, one of the things that we say over and over is context is key. Context, Context is everything. And so when people are concerned about the Bible condemning magic and witchcraft and wizardry. They're usually looking at verses in the Old Testament. And and in order to know how to apply that to our lives, I'm sorry, I'm doing this, but I think it's really important, is to understand what is the context of those verses. And the context of those biblical verses are a pagan culture that was practicing the occult in opposition to Yahweh. So in opposition to God, that's what those verses are about. So that is different as far as application for our own lives. That's different than a fantasy genre in literature. Mm-hmm. That's just a totally different concept. Whenever we, whenever we walk into literature, you're talking about a world that, that we all know. We agree this isn't a real place, but it's a genre where there's fantasy, where real, real rules in life um, don't, don't work the same way anymore. Mm-hmm. And in this fantasy world, that's how we learn. I mean, it's Chronicles of Narnia. It's, you know, Lord of the Rings. It's Cinderella. It's a lot of, it's a lot of movies and books that are in this genre. So it's just a different thing. And it's still, it's okay. I think it's just important to recognize that if if you have a problem with it, that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not trying to convince you to, you have to read Harry Potter, but just understand that those biblical prohibitions were for a specific purpose. Right, right. Yeah, it really is a literary device, right? Yeah. I mean, and much similar to like uh, superpowers, um, like if you're a fan of the Avengers or something, like it's, it's similar to that. It's a suspended reality of what we know, um, but something that's, you know, the, the author is using to, you know, help tell this story. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I would never want to... Um, 
encourage someone to do to to expose their kids to something that they're not comfortable with for sure. um, or whatever and, and to really tell anybody what is right or not right for their kids I encourage parents to uh, be involved in that and absolutely know what your kids are reading and watching and listening to and know how to talk to them about it and walk through um, some of that stuff with them um, but uh, that comes with the aspect of a little bit of doing the work and so too often when I have those conversations it's with people who um, have not read Mm-hmm. Maybe seen the movies, but certainly have not read the books. And so, all I, my main advice would just be to read them, and um, and then take a real good look at them and decide if that's something that's right for your kids now or never, um, or at a different age. Um, I personally, obviously, uh, don't have an issue with them at the wit- the magic and the and the witchcraft thing. Um, and I am a firm believer, as we'll just talk about more, that if if that is a big holdup, then you do miss out on a lot of um, really rich and, and deep. Um, just Christian themes and symbols mm-hmm. and um, ideas and whatnot that are just permeating uh, through the books. And so I, I do think there is a little bit of missing out there and uh, cutting off your nose to spite the face. But if you've, mm-hmm. if you've read it and you've decided like, like that's not going to be for our family, then I, I, that is all, you know, I would ask you to do. Mm-hmm. I think last week, one thing that we talked about is the moral intent of a book. And so you can't know that if you haven't read it, if you have it in your research, like you're saying. So, I mean, if, if you look at the moral intent of a book like Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia or Harry Potter, there's a clear moral intent, you know, like Daniel's saying, and uh, that's how we can sort of dive into these Christian themes and not miss out on them just because we're worried about one one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like this is a scenario too where um, I don't think J.K. Rowling go- really goes into detail about like the source of the magic, you know? It's not like a, I don't know, they're doing weird rituals to like gain magical powers or anything like that. And so that's where summoning spirits. And yeah, all that. yeah, right. yeah. There's none, none of that stuff is going right. on. And there's a clear line between good and evil in the, throughout the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole story, I mean, from book one to book seven, like it's clearly a good versus evil thing. And so, um, yeah, it just, it has a different flavor and feel than something that is more dark and sinister. And, um, yeah. So I think that makes, that makes the magic, um, well, it's a magical story for one, so you got to have magic, right? But anyway, uh, there's a couple other controversies I think that are, are worth talking about. Um, one of them, which I think is fascinating, is um, the whole Dumbledore. Well, the, okay, there's two Dumbledore conversations I want to have. The first one is, is Dumbledore actually bad? No. Because there's a lot of people <laughs> who are like, Rachel is wait, what? <laughs> but there's there's an interesting case for him being bad. And I think a lot of it has to They've do with... They've only seen the movies. I think a lot of it has to do with what you're coming into the story with. Like well, your own worldview, you know, is like, okay, well, it's kind of messed up that this character in the, in the story is like really setting this other guy up to have, you know, Harry Potter, if you don't know. He's setting him up to like have to make some big sacrifices. And uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting conversation to have. Go ahead. You know, I um, I could talk for too many hours on this specific question. I'll probably say that more than once this podcast. Um, after, the, after the seventh book came out, there was this big, huge um, a, a viewpoint adjustment in two characters. It was in Snape and in Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, a firm believer that that was... That was not appropriate at all. Um, what I think Dumbledore is a fantastic viewpoint and and reference of is um, 
is really true repentance. And so we find out mm-hmm. in book seven um, that Dumbledore, you know, was close with Grindelwald, uh, the the evil wizard before Voldemort, um, when they were, you know, when they were teenagers and uh, dabbled in trying to, you know, dominate and subjugate the muggle community so wizards could come out of hiding and, and all that. Um, but what we see and, and what I'm encouraged by Follow Christ is that it's not um, it's not that there was sin in Dumbledore's life. It's not that there was an, a very big failure in his past. It's what he did after that. And so, um, you know, at one point he tells Harry that he never uh, he never said yes to becoming minister of magic when he was asked multiple times because he he knew he was not fit to be that close to power. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, you know, there, there's echoes of if your right hand causes you to sin, you know, cut it off in kind of Dumbledore's actions through the rest of his life. And so I think that is hugely important. Um, and where I think Snape is the opposite, and and we might get to Snape later, I don't know, but um, well, let's just do it. Let's just do it. <laughs> let me let me finish out Dumbledore, and then we'll circle back to also, Snape. Also, I just want to note we are fully into the jargon. So if you don't know what we're talking about at this point, like go read the books or something because this is this is good stuff. You just got to know the the words. Thank you, John. I feel mm-hmm. I feel a weight <laughs> lifted off my shoulders a little bit. Um, and then as for Dumbledore and Harry, you know, I think what Dumbledore understood more than anybody about Harry was um, who he was and what drove him. And uh, he understood, and, and he even tells Harry this at one point, that um, regardless of what the prophecy said, regardless of what Dumbledore did or didn't do, Harry and Voldemort were going to end up uh, mashed up against each other at one point. Mm-hmm. And if you take that viewpoint of it, that understanding that he knew that that was in Harry's future, whether he was there or not, all that all that Dumbledore did throughout Harry's life uh, was give him the best possible chance um, to come out victorious in that battle mm-hmm. at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good take. I think the, some of the, the counter arguments I've heard, just to, just to throw them out there. Oh, John, we're um, going to have to have a fist fight. Yeah. So for the record, I I <laughs> firmly stand on the side that Dumbledore is good, um, but I think it's interesting because um, if you if you look at the if you look at the story and the way that it's set up, uh, you know if you we're gonna talk about this at length later, but like there's representation for the characters of you know biblical figures. So uh, Harry Potter kind of represents Jesus. Uh, you can make a case that Dumbledore kind of represents God the Father. And so um, I've heard people say, oh, like he's he's pulling the strings and kind of making things happen in such a way that it feels like other characters don't have control. And is he using that power well or is he not? Because he's doing all this other stuff. So I think if you come in with a Christian worldview and we believe that God is good um, and that, you know, we live in a broken and sinful world. Like we know that, um, you know, God does have a purpose for things. Even when things are seemingly bad or uncomfortable, we know that ultimately he's leading us to a place that is good. Um, and it may not be some, something we see initially. Um, so that, that was, that was just, you know, part of the conversation I think is just cool. We don't have to, you know, keep it going at length here. Well, but. I think that something about Dumbledore is, I think it's okay to try to assign biblical figures to every mm-hmm. person in the book. I don't think we have to. I think Dumbledore, one of the compelling things about Harry Potter is that it, and she's so good at writing real characters. Yes. So, so Harry Potter's a Christ figure, but he's also a real person that you can identify with. Of course. Dumbledore, even if he represents God the Father in some ways, um, he's also a real character who has, you know, it, this isn't supposed to be an, ex, you know, 
like a character for character, word for word representation of the biblical story. It is very overtly Christian and it is the gospel message. But I mean, part of what's really beautiful about it is that you can identify with these characters, that they're growing and learning. And like Daniel said, they repent, you know, they've sinned and you can still love them. And it, and, and for me, one of the things I love about it is that the beginning of the series, it it seems a little bit like that. Dumbledore's perfect and Harry's going to be awesome. And by the end of the series, they're all complicated and that's life. You know, I think mm-hmm. she agree with her readers and everything just has more going on. So I appreciated the fact that Dumbledore is real, even yeah. though he is otherworldly. Right. Too. Right. Right. And yeah. there's parallels there that, um, you know, when you say it, it seems like he's pulling the strings and, and whatnot, what I think Dumbledore also knows um, and what I think you see play out in our lives as, as followers of Christ is that, um, you know, we do believe that God is sovereign over all, but we also, um, believe that he works with and through humanity. And so, mm-hmm. um, Harry couldn't have done what he did if he, um, if he wasn't brought along in a way that he knew he was making real choices, um, to, to take the steps that he did and the Hallows and Horcruxes things and, and whatnot. And so it was more than Dumbledore being able to just say like, um, you know, I'm going to set up the mousetrap and let the marble go. Um, he really had to do it in a way that Harry could go on a real journey and come out in the way, um, that Dumbledore knew would, would be necessary in that final battle. For sure. If you're listening, you did not know we were going to talk about sovereignty today, did you? I, I bet that was a turn. Um, so real quick, I just want to hit one more thing in this in this wacky, wild, and weird category. Um, one of the, the my favorite things to talk about with people who like the movies is um, original Dumbledore versus new Dumbledore. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that. It's just so, depressing. So just, just, just for the record, if you don't know their names... Um, and I'm probably going to butcher one of them, but uh, the the first original Dumbledore in the movies he was in uh, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber Secrets was played by Richard Harris, and then from then on, from Prisoner of Azkaban to the end of the series, um, he's played by Michael Gambone. 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 Okay. In Gambone. prepping for this, I emailed Rachel that the original Dumbledore is maybe the perfect casting, the most perfect casting role in the history of movies. And the, the wow. replacement was maybe the worst casting role in the history of movies. Really? And I stand by those statements. Really? Absolutely. That is fascinating because Continue. I am the total opposite. <gasps> I like what? second Dumbledore better. Man, I'm, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I, you're literally the first person he, I've ever met who likes, who likes Gambo more than Dumbledore, uh, yeah. Dumbledore should, should we just, not talk about this? Are we gonna? It's just so sad. I mean, I think like all the things that I love about Dumbledore. So Dumbledore actually is this old English word that means bumblebee because she yeah. pictured him humming all the time. Mm-hmm. So he's kind. He is humorous. He, he there's always a twinkle in his eye. Mm-hmm. There is one book where he's aloof and cold, but it's for a specific purpose. But to me. Um, the second Dumbledore in the movie series was that guy the whole time. I mean, in in book six, he doesn't look at Harry. He never laughs. He 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 yells at Harry. He loses control. I mean, he there are so many things that I think are really fundamental to who Dumbledore is that just are totally lost in movies. I think it's sad. Mm-hmm. See, my my just my I, we won't again. We don't have to belabor this topic too bad. But my thoughts on it are, um, I feel like. Dumbledore to me is very similar to Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings series. And there's a little bit of like a, 
there's a fieriness in Gandalf that you see come out from time to time throughout that story where um, he's put in these situations where, you know, you've heard all these things about him being this great wizard. Um, Gandalf still I'm talking about. And, and then he, he shows up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's real. The story is true. He really is who he says he is or who the legend says he is. And Dumbledore is similar because he, he has this same kind of lore about him um, but then in the movies, you know, in the original movies, he shows up and he is like a very like frail old man. I think, it, I think it still works. I mean, I'm not saying like I dislike the first one. I just, I like the second one a little bit better. Cause I think he plays that like, wow, this guy's really got it in, in the, in the duel with Voldemort in, um, the fifth movie. And then in the, uh, I don't know what that cave is called. If there's a particular name for just it, just the cave, the cave in the, in the sixth movie, um, when he, you know, casts a spell to save he and Harry and they get out. It's like, those are two moments to me that are just like, I don't know if the first guy would have pulled it off the same way. And I love, I love Gambone's uh, uh, take on all that. I'll say this. I don't disagree with you. I don't know. Could, could Richard Harris have done that? I'm not sure. The problem is Gambone brought that to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in right. and I'm not gonna real Dumbledore, um, those aspects are few and far between. They weren't they weren't present in the first and second book. Mm-hmm. Um, Dumbledore did not have those scenes, and right. so that was not necessary. Um, but he brings those to so many scenes where uh, the character of Dumbledore is changed by how he acts mm-hmm. in those scenes, and that mm-hmm. is, you know, what gets my goat. Yeah, I mean, I think also part of what you learn through Dumbledore, I, I really think this is that you can be gentle and kind and hum. And have a sense of humor and still be powerful when you need to be. You can still stand up to evil and be the most powerful wizard. You don't have to have, you know, this intimidating, gruff, aloof exterior in order to be that person. That's something I really love Mm -hmm. about the Dumbledore in the books. And I think you just lose that a little bit. I'll give him this tiny bit of credit. By the sixth movie, which was really his last one, he had one important scene in eight. But um, by the by the sixth movie, he had he had figured it out much better. So yeah. he was he was certainly Yeah, I will say he gets better as the series but goes along. Three, four, and five, I got big mad opinions about <laughs> movie Dumbledore. Just but when he yells at Harry and Four. Goblet of, oh, just just real quick. Just real quick. That is exactly what's in my mind this one. Just real quick, what is your favorite movie of the movies? I refuse to answer that question until we talk about the books first. Because <laughs> I'm a firm believer that the movies are just poorly abridged versions of the books. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, What's we'll your just, favorite book? <laughs> book five, jokingly, because it's the longest. Yeah. Uh, quickly, r- for real. Um, I hated it the first when I read it, but the more I read it, the more I realized it made me the most emotional. Yeah, there's a lot there. For good reasons. Uh, book six is actually my favorite movie. Mostly just, I think, uh, the acting um, and the script is the best. I, I had to go through a long process of just enjoying the movies for what they are, which is not the books mm-hmm. and not being mad about mm-hmm. all of the things that are wrong. And okay. so that took me three was the first movie I saw after the book. So it took me three and a half movies to get there. But by book mm-hmm. six, I mean, movie six, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah. What about you, Rachel? I liked movie six too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's probably my favorite movie. And um, I think they do the best job with conveying the story in movie six too. My favorite book is book seven, which is, you know, that's easy to say, but it's true. I It is fantastic. I get really frustrated with authors, even in a single book, when they don't, when they have holes, when they have plot mm. holes or they trick their audience. They're mm. like, oh, it ended up this way, but actually you lied to us. I think she does this amazing job 
of telling this really long, complicated story. And it gets really complicated by oh, yeah. the end and it all works. Mm-hmm. And she wrote it over lots of years. And I was just yeah. like, wow, this works. And that's when you really see the, the big themes, which yeah. was fun. And it's an extremely satisfying conclusion to a long series. Um, yeah. I think reading seven for me, that was my experience was just, it's like, wow, they really hit, or I shouldn't say they, she really hit the nail on the head with the seventh book. Cause it, you do feel like, man, we know everything. This is awesome. And that's hard to do. I don't say seven only because you get everything answered. Right. So it's almost yeah. too easy, but, the, it is, but it really yeah. is that good. I don't say like that's a clay. It really is uh-huh. that good of a, of a conclusion. Yeah. Uh, just real quick for me, uh, book four, Goblet of Fire is my favorite book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Half Blood Prince six is my favorite movie by far. It's a so, consensus. Yeah, six. Uh, uh, yeah, the consensus is watch movie six. Um, but you should watch all of them. Read all so, the books. Watch movie six. <laughs> so to keep this thing moving, uh, the next category we have coming up is that sounds familiar. So uh, there's this great quote that you hear often used that says, "Good artists copy, great artists steal." And I think we all know that's true in a lot of books and movies that we uh, experience when it comes to the Bible. Biblical themes are just rampant in literature. Um, so in this story, uh, what themes, narrative arcs, all that stuff sound like stuff we hear in the Bible or things we hear in our faith? Where to even begin? Yeah, it's um, a big question. It's a big topic. Yeah, I mean, we can... Um, you know, we start with sac- some, of, some of the things I was thinking through. There's, there's really interesting bookends to the series on the theme of sacrifice. And so book one starts mm-hmm. with um, really minutes, maybe hours after um, the first significant sacrifice in Harry Potter, which is uh, Harry's mom sacrificing herself to save her son, um, which uh, is done out of love. Um, which is hammered home for the next seven books. And uh, it's what protects him, you know, from Voldemort's curse. And, um, and it's, really, uh, it's really a tiny image or symbol of, um, you know, the power of love and, and what it leads us to do. You know, um, you know, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that uh, he may lay down his life for his friends. Mm. And so... Uh, that, and that shapes Harry's life more than anything. He didn't remember it. Um, small echoes and dreams throughout the series, but it is the, the single biggest factor in his life. And then if you fast forward seven books um, to the end of seven, it ends with really um, Harry doing a similar thing. And he is um, understanding that he is going into uh, this battle with the most evil wizard of all time, um, that it is a, a somewhat of a good versus evil battle. And um, what he understands by the end of the book is that um, the way to truly defeat evil is to lay down his life and mm-hmm. sacrifice it. And um, if that is not echoes of, um, of Christ suffering and sacrifice on the cross um, because the parallels don't even in there. He, he does that sacrifice um, and then he comes back and is able um, to actually finish the job as they say. So uh, the sacrifice was what enabled um, him to have the power to defeat Voldemort. And then when he chose to come back and actually do it um, without that, it would not have, have worked. Um, that final Horcrux wouldn't have been destroyed. Um, the battle of good versus evil couldn't have won. Um, they're just, and there's just some really, really cool writings. You know, Voldemort's a snake. 
Mm-hmm. He looks like a snake. Mm-hmm. A snake is that if, if you don't see that parallel, then I, I probably can't help you with the rest <laughs> of the words that we have um, yeah. today. And, um, you know, right before, you know, Harry, Harry's spell that he uses to finish is, is the disarming spell, the Expelliarmus. He's disarming the power of the snake through his sacrifice and then coming back. He's not fighting uh, violence with violence, um, which is, is something we see in the Christian story. And, um, you know, he even says, there's, I wrote it down, I don't think I'm pulling this off my head, but uh, he says right before he, he shouts that, and they, they both do their final spells, that he shouts to the highest heavens, um, Expelliarmus. And so mm-hmm. um, it is just a really cool picture of, um, of a sacrificial life and what that looked like uh, in the biblical story, and then you know what that should look like for us going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, just real quick, adding on to what you said, I, I love in having conversations with people about Harry Potter, especially people who are just mildly into it, or they're like, wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. Somebody told me he dies at the end. And it's really fun to be able to be like, yeah, but he comes back. <laughs> and it's like, it's this, it's the same, it's, it's, um, it's like you said, I think echo is a good word. It's an echo of the same feeling we have when we get to tell people about Jesus. And it's like, he dies, but he comes back, you know? And it's just this cool moment of like seeing people like realizing just, you know, how, like how big this thing is that's at work, or, uh, like that's around them, that affects them, um, that God's love penetrates their hearts in such a way that he would die and then he would defeat death and rise again. It's just, it's a cool, it's a cool picture. And, you know, every allegory, every, uh, all that stuff breaks down at a point. But man, Harry Potter does a, a really nice job of just hammering that truth home for me, at least when I read it. So mm-hmm. It's one of the most explicitly gospel stories out there, period. I mean, she's mm-hmm. very clear in what she's doing in a lot of ways, just with the story itself and with the illusions. Um, but it's it's the gospel story. I mean, it's this beautiful, fun universe that's mm-hmm. infiltrated by evil that they have to find hope in they're looking for a messiah who comes and lays lays down his life so that everyone can live again i mean it is the gospel story <laughs> in harry potter which is so amazing mm-hmm. especially when you think about you know sort of our problems with it and our resistance to it that it's so explicitly christian mm-hmm. is such a gift to like you're saying be able to like talk to people about it oh you like this here's yeah. another story that let me tell you something it's actually related yeah. to I think there's another cool theme, though, that I think you you sometimes miss in the movies, but that are really explicit in the books, um, which is just the beauty of diversity and unity and mission. Um, so, you know, Voldemort is modeled after Satan and Hitler, which is which is very clear in the books. I mean, he is against mudbloods. And, you know, he, he wants a society full of pure blood wizards and, and anyone who is not a pure blood wizard, he wants to, um, to be seen as inferior to these pure blood wizards. Whenever he's in control, he makes them register. He produces pamphlets. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the Holocaust. Death eaters are Nazis. That's true. D- yeah. Death eaters are Nazis, which is, I think you don't, you don't really get that, but it's this really amazing picture because Harry, on the other hand, he, he sees everyone He's kind and respectful and loving and sacrificial, even to those who are from different nationalities and different races. You know, at the end of it, um, a goblin says, you're not like other wizards, Harry. And Mm -hmm. in the final big battle scene, it's this picture of all these different magical creatures fighting together. It's one of the reasons why they start to push back the darkness in the books. And that to me is such a picture of the church, such a picture Mm -hmm. of what God has called us to, that we each have 
different gifts and different circumstances, but we are all on, you know, in the same mission together. And so um, I think this idea of diversity and unity and the call to love one another, even in our differences, is just so apparent in this story. If you go in and really um, just kind of systematically look at the people and the things that Harry affirms over the life of the series and the people and the things that he rejects over the life of the series, you get this really amazing picture of the upside down kingdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, his best friends are poor, um, are ugly, are made fun of, um, are weak and timid. And, you know, Harry, you know, uh, Ron, Hermione, Luna, Neville, um, he, he cares for Dobby, who is a lowly servant, Mm -hmm. um, the half blood, you know, the half giant, a half wizard Hagrid, who is an outcast in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Um, and you can just go step by step through everything. He rejects that is the Malfoys in book yeah, one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, power, money, mm-hmm. influence, um, even immortality. With you know, he he only gets the Philosopher's Stone and sorry, Sorcerer's Stone <laughs> in the first book uh, because he won't use it mm-hmm. um, for what it's intended to be used for: immortality and riches. Um, and so it's really a neat picture to see. Um, just that upside down kingdom and work throughout mm-hmm. it. It's something you can miss if you don't like sit back and just think about all the people that are close to him and all of the things that he rejects. But when you look at it and, and you just line them up, makes. it is fascinating. Yeah. Super cool. Um, gosh, I feel like there are so many things you can talk about mm-hmm. when you're trying to think about what sounds familiar to the Bible in Harry Potter. Cause there's just a lot. Um, you mentioned Neville and I just think he's always worth bringing up when you have a conversation like this, because his, his character arc is so fun and so fascinating, I think, that he starts as this um, this timid little boy uh, who's kind of scared of everything and has a couple moments where he's, you know, trying to be brave and courageous, but he's just kind of, he's just Neville, you know? And then by the end of the, the series, he's like, he's leading the charge, uh, facing certain death um, against the, you know, this evil, powerful wizard, especially when... Harry has uh, sacrificed himself at this point. And, you know, it's just, it's like, it's just this amazing transformation. And uh, I remember reading the the first time reading the books, it's like, it just, you can't help but think about Jesus and his disciples. At least for me, I couldn't help but think about it as like, you know, these guys who are just, they're just guys and they're fishermen and they're just kind of these regular dudes. And then they start following Jesus. And it's like, you fast forward to Acts and they're leading the charge and they're facing death and they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, there's no way this is the same guy, you know? And it's just, uh, you just, you feel that with Neville. And I think um, his, his character just really resonates. I think it resonates with me. It resonates with a lot of people, I think, just because you love to see that uh, transformation happen. And it's just, it's so cool with him. So reading Neville in the first book to Neville in the seventh book is you're right. It's a different person. Mm -hmm. I love Neville. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got you. Uh, okay, and here we go. So I think love's another big one to talk about with um, just familiarity with the Bible. Love is such a huge theme throughout our faith. I mean, I don't know. What, where do you guys see that in Harry Potter? I don't... Uh, it, it's certainly intentional um, that there's this, this world. Um, it's called the magical world, even in the books. Um we spend year after year in school learning about all the different spells and abilities and capabilities that you can do if you're magical that you can't do if you're non-magical. Um, and yet, very explicitly throughout the series, um, Dumbledore constantly says, 
the most powerful bit of magic that we ever talk about is love. Mm-hmm. Um, and he regularly tells Harry that this is what, uh, this is what marks you out as different from Voldemort is, um, love. I, I promise I didn't write down a whole lot of quotes, but I did write down one that I just wanted to read really quick. Um, this is Dumbledore talking to Harry about the importance of love. And he says, love a good quote. There's a room in the, in the department of mysteries interrupted Dumbledore that is kept locked at all times. It contains a force that is at once more powerful and more terrible than death, than human intelligence, than forces of nature. It is also perhaps the most mysterious of the many subjects for study that reside there. It is the power held within that room that you possess in such quantities and which Voldemort has not at all. That power took you to save Sirius tonight. That power also saved you from possession by Voldemort because he could not bear to reside in a body so full of the force he detests. In the end, it mattered not that you could not close your mind. It was your heart that saved you. And that's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It, it, we so much focus on God sending his son that it's easy to skip over. It's because he loved us why he did that. Um, you know, First Corinthians, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the most important of them is love. And, um, you know, that, that might be the single biggest uh, Christian theme and, and symbol in Harry Potter. Um, and what I love about it is that it is a true biblical for, vision of love. It is love in action. Um, it is, uh, there are emotions involved in it, but it is not emotional. Um, you know, Harry... Harry has temporary falling outs with almost all of the people closest to him in some, some way or the other in the book where he's not talking to Ron or to Hermione or to Sirius or to who else. Um, but something big happens and all of that goes away. It doesn't matter because there's a deep abiding love between uh, these people. And so um, it's just a, a fascinating thing to look through um, throughout the books or the movies. Mm. Super good. All right. So, one category I wrote down that I'm kind of excited to hear what you guys have to say. It's called the JC symbolism scale. So we know, I think, if, if, you, if you took uh, English in high school, which I think most of you probably did listening, um, you have heard about JC symbolism. It's, uh, it happens in a lot of stories, a lot of books, especially stuff you have to read, uh, literature in high school. Um, and so I think, you know, we've already said it a couple of times. There is a very clear Christ figure in Harry Potter, but how do you rate him on a scale from one to 10? How well does he play Jesus Christ? Okay. So I think that's a great question. I think it's a complicated question because, you know, a Christ figure, a Christ figure is a literary device. So I'd say as a literary device, he's a 10. I mean, he is, um, he's marginalized, he's mocked. He, he, he has so many markers of what you see in literature for Christ figures. He has a scar on his forehead. Oftentimes they have a scar on their forehead or their hands or feet. And he is, he has, um, both. He, has he has both. He can see, he can talk to evil spirits. Mm. He loves those who are, um, who are less than he, he's betrayed by someone who's close to them close to him. He walks to his death willingly. He is mocked whenever he does that. He is, he sees the truth when no one else does. He's resurrected at King's cross. I mean, as far as a Christ figure goes in the literary genre, it is so good and so clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that's important to sort of separate that from, is he Jesus, right? Because yeah. he's not like a 20th century Jesus. Mm-hmm. No one is saying that. The author's not saying that, the movies aren't saying that, and we are certainly not saying that. 
He's a Christ figure, so he leads us to Christ. He reminds us of who Christ is and what he's done for us and what he's called us to do for everyone around us. But Harry is real, which is why we also love Harry. I mean, he's a boy who is angry and goes through depression and makes mistakes, big ones, and who isn't kind to his friends, um, but who ultimately um, draws us to Christ with his choices, with his with his final and ultimate choices too. So mm-hmm. um, that's sort of a complicated answer, but yeah, I, I think it's important great. to sort of separate those two things. I totally uh, agree with Rachel what... Um, Obviously, lots of symbolism uh, of Christ in Harry, but what uh, I think might be a better picture of him is if you want to call it um, the Christian everyman or just one of us. So you see Harry um, as a baby is marked by um, someone uh, making a loving sacrifice to save his life. Um, one of the, the things when we become followers of Jesus, when we accept that loving sacrifice from Christ to us, um, and then the rest of our lives ideally are spent in sanctification. So we can become more and more um, like Christ um, in our lives here on earth, uh, you know, until whenever it is that we die. And so what you really see through seven books is, is Harry being sanctified. Um, and he is, he is marked by that sacrifice before he can even remember it. Um, but he spends his whole life um, growing to understand that and to learn more about that to the point where, and we talked about it a little earlier, but at the end of the seventh book, he is then able to do the same thing in laying down his life for others um, in, in the fight against evil. And so um, I agree not, he's, he's not Jesus. My, m- the fifth book is my favorite is because Harry finally gets mad. Yeah. All this crazy <laughs> stuff has been happening to him for like four years. Right. People are trying to kill him. Everything is going crazy. Real. And he's very happy-go-lucky and like, right. I'm, I'm Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. And then he finally, in, in book five, is, is pretty upset about what's going on and why nobody's telling him. And so that's one of the reasons I love that book so much. It's very mm-hmm. realistic. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, Sirius tells him at one point, like, the world's not spit, split into good people and death eaters. And I so there that. is a... Uh, yeah. There is certainly an aspect of um, of his his struggle to understand uh, how to live in um, to the gift that he was given as a baby from his mother. Mm. Super good. I was gonna say something, but I don't think I need to anymore. So I'm just gonna let that lie where it is. Um, so the next category, we got uh, two more to get through. Um, the next one is called character comrades. And it's just where we can talk about what characters we relate with. So if you had to pick one, who's your, who's your character? So I, I rarely answer these questions I'm so directly. Excited. I have, I, I will pull out multiple people uh, for various reasons. Um, Hermione is my very favorite character in all of Harry Potter. Wait, hold on, hold on. Do you relate to her or is she your favorite character? Because this is such a hard question yes. for me. Like you have to... Both. Okay, okay. She's my right. favorite character, right. um, largely because I relate to her. Um, okay. But, you know, she's just, she constantly has her nose in a book. Um, she can be a little bit too know-it-all. She's, But she's also, she's tactful. She's gentle when needed. Um, the other big reason she's my favorite character is that I, I'm a firm believer that Hermione, not Ron, is Harry's true best friend. Mm. Um, she is with him at all the most important times of her life. Ron is not because he would ruin it. Um, she is the only person who can get Harry to, um, to slow down, think about what he's doing and, and Which get rid needs. of a little bit of that reactionary aspect of him. She's the only person who can speak sense into his life. Um, 
So I know I'm in the minority on this, but I am. Ron might be my least favorite character. Apologies to anybody who loves that, but um, <laughs> I'm I'm a big Hermione fan. Um, on top of that, um, I wouldn't want. You know, if I had models for my kids, I wouldn't pick Hermione. It would be Luna and Neville um, for girls and boys. And then you have to talk about Fred and George at oh, least, yeah. a, at least oh, a yeah, tiny bit. So, so you gotta mention them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm Hermione. In okay, <sighs> I like that. Nice. So I I find this question really hard. I I'm probably like a. Um, but this is probably this is who I want to be. Can I just yeah. do that? Because yeah, yeah. I'm like, I mean, I'm yeah. probably like Neville in book one. That's really mm. who I am. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on and I make mistakes, but I try sometimes. Mm. But who I would like to be is a cross of Hermione in Jenny in the books. Because mm. um, she is not the same as Jenny in the movies. Ooh, uh, yes. So there's a, there's a lot of just tension below the surface on that whole Jenny conversation. I can feel it. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to go in, but I just want you yeah, to know if you're listening, it's there. So Jenny's Jenny's super <laughs> cool in the book. She's yeah. she's really feisty and she one of the reasons why Harry likes her is cuz she like claps back at him mm-hmm. and she sort of matches his energy and yeah. stuff. So she's really good at magic. She carries on um, Dumbledore's army whenever he's gone. Right. All the things like that. Um, and also just like her growth. She has a lot of growth in the books. And so I like her a lot and I love Hermione. So I'm like, that would be, that's who I want to be. Mm-hmm. It's just a cross between those two characters. Yeah. I like that who I want to be question. That that would be a yeah. mix of Luna and Neville. For right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's, it's similar. It's like, I, I would love to be book seven Neville, you know, like that, oh, yeah. so that would be great. Um, I feel like all the things you said about Ron are, that's probably me, you know? So <laughs> I, I tend to ruin things. Apologies, um, I'm just kind of the person that's there. I, you know, I like to have a good time. I feel like Ron likes to have a good time. So I love Ron. probably Ron. Yeah. I don't want to say that Ron's not important. I just say, oh, yeah, I don't no, care I, I'm not him. offended by anything. Almost. I was just like, yeah, that's me. So. That's because you're Hermione. For the record, I like John a lot. You're always <laughs> mad at Ron. That's a that's good point. That is a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> So this this last category I actually think is is going to be fun. So I wanted to do it's hard to it's you know anytime you do something like this it's hard to figure out a way to like okay how do we just like wrap this up. Um, And so I thought about a lot of different things to do but I think one of the fun things to say is like okay so if you just get a to go box and you can put anything you want in it what are you putting in it? What are you taking away from Harry Potter that you want to carry with you out into the world? What's the theme? What's the uh, the lesson, wh- whatever it is, what do you want to take with you from Harry Potter out into, you know, everything else? Okay, well, I'll start because I want want Daniel to wrap us up. So for me, my takeaways from Harry Potter, which is why I love book seven, are um, really encapsulated whenever he sees um, the two scriptures on the tombstones, whenever he goes to Godric's Hollow. Uh, mm. Godric's, is that what it's called? Yeah. So Godric's Hollow, Okay. <laughs> So he goes, and uh, the first one is on Dumbledore's family tombstone, and it says, I don't want to mess it up, uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then on Harry's parents' tombstone, it says, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So I think this is when you finally get what the author is doing, and you finally understand, and you see all of it. Okay, I see all the stories are sort sort of culminating in these two biblical truths. Um, and I think that those are things that we can take away with us as, as believers too. Mm-hmm. You know, the first on Dumbledore's tomb, you know, like we've talked about in this whole episode, he struggles in his whole life with where, 
where do I find treasure? Is it, is it in power? Is it in prestige? Is it in you know control over death? Or is it found in humility and love and sacrifice? And you you see Harry's struggle with those questions too in book seven. And then, you know, the last enemy to be de- defeated is death. I mean, you see these death eaters who try to, and Harry said, he asks that actually when he sees it, is this a death eater thing? But Voldemort seeks to overcome death for his own purposes. Mm-hmm. He destroys people because he wants to live forever. Um, but the the theme of this book, you know, what we should take away from it is that, is that death is overcome through self-sacrificing love. Mm. I mean, that's the overarching theme. And so, and also like just as the church, you know, we choose where our heart is. I mean, that quote on Dumbledore's tombstone is a direct quote from Jesus whenever he's talking about how we live our lives. And Mm -hmm. so we can choose to, I can choose to, you know, run after the things of this world, or I can seek after God and love and sacrifice and humility and it reveals my heart and it also transforms my heart. Mm. And then I think just, just, you know, the story is that death is defeated and that mm. happens through the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection. And that's, that's a true story. And so that's, that's the takeaway. And so to live in light of both those things, this is how we live now. And this is what our hope is in, is just sort of unbelievable to me. So when mm. I read that, I was like, wow, there it is. Mm-hmm. That's great. I don't think there's a bit uh, about the biblical themes and symbolism that I could add to that. Um, the the one the one thing I'll put in my to go box then that was fantastic, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean it. You summed it up excellently. Um, is just the importance of good literature. You know, mm-hmm. we we started off this conversation talking about the the magic controversy, which was largely driven by uh, Christians being really concerned um, and pretty upset. Uh, with this series. And we spent however long here discussing how it is chock full of really deep, Mm -hmm. rich theological themes. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm a firm believer that this is the worldwide phenomenon that it is um, because she is good enough at writing uh, that she can do all of that. And you love it because there's that, you know, there's that God-shaped hole inside of you um, that this speaks to, uh, but you don't even know that she's doing it. And uh, there are, you know, this book is spread all over the world, every culture, you know, to a hundred different languages. It's been translated into, um, and everybody around the globe is fascinated with Harry Potter. And I'm convinced that that's because um, there are people around the globe who are fascinated by the gospel story. Mm. I love that. Fantastic. If you haven't caught it yet... In listening to this podcast, we are firmly team books here. So <laughs> sorry. Um, watch the movies; those are great. They read are great. the books. Read the books. Okay, if you get one thing out of this, read the books. If you've read them before, read them again. Um, I, I do want to just point out one thing before I before I wrap us up here. Uh, Rachel and Daniel are such big Harry Potter fans that before we sat down to do this, we had to have a discussion about if we were going to say the word mudblood <laughs> on this podcast. I think we said it. Didn't we say it? I said it. Yeah, Daniel you said did it. not. Okay, Daniel didn't say it. I, apparently, he's better than you. So um, anyway, thank you guys so much for being here. It was super fun. Uh, hope we get to do it again sometime. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't yet, Make sure you subscribe to the Clear Creek Resources podcast wherever you listen so you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. And be sure to visit clearcreekresources.org where you can check out other content we put out like articles, videos, stories, and sermons. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.